hello. Oh, hi. I'm Emma. I'm Shannon. And welcome to This Podcast Doesn't Exist. Ooh. Oh, I liked that. Thanks. We're in the same room this time, you guys. And We're not, I, in, not a in a closet. I've been ma- t- taking a tour around my family's closets. I don't think I'm going to need to for any of the other Darn. recordings. So I can't test out my brother's. We'll save it for another special occasion. I suppose. I do feel like we are having a very formal business dinner. I'm very far away from you. You're, like, we are... <laughs> like the Von Trapp children, like, far away yes, from the Yes, or, dad. like, um, like, one of us is a traveler that's been caught in a storm and has to stop at, like, a gothic castle or estate. It's just Indiana Jones. And it's just, like... Please join me for dinner, and you're literally like twenty feet away. Young Not Frankenstein, but in this scenario, yeah. But uh, we're trying a new recording setup. I have completely disheveled this room. It's fine. It wasn't very aesthetically purposeful anyway. So now it's utilitarian, at least. It's, it's something. We have pillows. It's a mess, is what it is. It's fine. Well. Before we get into it, I will say that this episode had, was suggested by one of my new friends. Hi, Christian. Um, he suggested that I look into this mystery, and so I decided to not only look into it, but to do it. If you have any suggestions of your own, please send them to us at this podcast doesn't exist at gmail.com. Um, We would love to hear your suggestions, your ghost stories. I would like to hear your ghost stories. Shannon would rather not. But if you've got some alien mysteries, your diner order, whatever you want to send us, we want to read because we want to do a mailbag again. We haven't been able to do a mailbag in a little while. So feel free. Just talk to us, please. I'm lonely. (laughs) Was that too forward? (laughs) a little desperate a little bit <laughs> also why are you lonely i'm not miles is gonna be offended I'm he's not, at the baby, gym I'm right not. now listening to this yeah and he's like i'm literally gonna go upstairs to my wife why is she lonely i'm baby i'm not i'm not actually lonely I, it just felt appropriate in the moment to say it felt like something that i that would fit within what i was saying but well <sighs> We're just gonna we're just gonna let that happen. We're it might even keep it rolling. Yeah, it might not even make it in. We'll see. Oh well, that's because I have the power of editing on my side. Well, if you would like to view any of the photos from today's, there episode, are a lot. Or if you have suggestions uh, and you'd rather DM us instead of email, that's cool. You can find us on Instagram at this podcast doesn't exist. Uh, we have a link in our bio there that will take you to our link tree. You can download our bingo card and play Woo-hoo. along. You can access the podcast on all sorts of different platforms. So it's a helpful little link if you're trying to share with family, friends, enemies, etc. Yes, she um, said enemies, you guys. It's just part of the brand. Yes, now. she said um, enemies. Let me you- haunt people. Let me haunt people while I'm alive. Okay, we, I will say, we've been slacking on Put It on the Merch. That's your realm. I know, but I guess I've just been so invested. I'm really glad, though. Well, last time you were scared, but yes, you you have been invested. That's true. That's true. 
But anyway, you can find all of that on our Instagram. Come and follow us, like our photos, comment. Uh, if you find any cool episode-related stuff out in the wild, shout out to Jesse. Yes. Um, Jesse's awesome at that. They always uh, tag us when they find related stuff. We appreciate it. We love it. Uh, and for the record, Christian, I'm waving to you. <laughs> all right, Emma. <laughs> What's going on now? All right. Today, Shannon, we have something that involves a plane. Oh! So I am going to try and conquer my fear. There's no crashing. There's no awful thing that happens with the plane specifically. No one dies that we know of. Mm. Today, we are going to talk about D.B. Cooper. (gasps) Ooh! All right, well, let me buckle up. Yeah, you got to strap into that. First, do you want... You have a choice. Would you like to strap into the plane, or would you like to strap yourself to a parachute? Um, can I do both? Yes. Just in case. Just in case. All right, well, I'm just going to put it on over my shoulders. There you go. Clip a thing, zip it. Is this a normal parachute, or is this a weird flying squirrel suit like they had on uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Oh my god, put on the flying squirrel suit! Okay. Put it on! Here I am. And then I'm also going to sit in my little plane seat, and I'm going to buckle it. And then I'm going to pull it low and tight across my lap. Yes. Correct. Okay. Alright. So, almost 50 years ago, on the day before Thanksgiving... A man boarded a plane out of Oregon, headed to Seattle. In the middle of the flight, he flagged down an attendant and showed her the bomb in his bag. Mm -mm. But this isn't even the most interesting part. That's my little blurb, like I always do. So, let's talk about the beginning. Afternoon of November 24th, 1971, a man approached the counter of the Northwest Orient Airlines in Portland to buy a one-way ticket to Seattle, Washington. He used cash... And he wrote his name down as Dan Cooper. He boarded the flight 305 and quietly sat in his seat, buttoned up in a black tie and white shirt under his business suit, and ordered a bourbon and soda while waiting for the flight to take off. He was described as in his mid-40s, white, with a pointed nose and chin, and dark hair. The flight took off a third full, so with 36 passengers plus the six on the crew. So this is not a full flight. People are kind of sitting far apart from each other. And is this a standard, like, This is a Boeing 727. So this is, like, a normal passenger airline that we fly now. Um, So the attendants did their normal checks and took their seats. And Florence Schaffner, the attendant sitting in the jump seat closest to the businessman, saw him looking at her. He reached into his pocket and handed her a note. She thought it was the phone number of a lonely guy, because it happened a lot, so she dropped it into her nearby purse. He looked confused and leaned towards her and whispered, quote, Miss, you'd better look at that note. I have a bomb. End quote. <laughs> Can you imagine that you're like, all oh, this lonely dude is just like, like uh, I'm uh, getting hit on again. again. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, actually, no, you might die. <laughs> oh, no. So the stunned attendant picked the note out of her purse and unfolded it. She stated it it said basically that there was a bomb in his briefcase. So he basically just wrote on a note, I have a bomb, and handed it to Mm -hmm. her. 
The man mentioned for her to come sit next to him, and so she fearfully did, because she's like, I'm, I don't know, you might not just have a bomb. I'm going to do what you say. He took the note that he had handed her, and she asked him quietly if she could see the bomb. Like, geez, girl. Well, okay, but also, this is what, like the 1970s? Yeah, 1971. So I don't know what training was like back then. Obviously, it was a different world pre-9-11. But, you know, flight attendants are trained to go through crisis, whether it's like a water landing or something's wrong with the plane. So maybe she was like, well, before we, you know, like to figure out what you're working with. Because maybe it could have been just a mentally ill passenger who didn't. You know what I mean? Opens the bag and it's like a A slinky or whatever. A chicken? Like a rubber chicken or a real chicken? No, a rubber chicken. It's a rubber chicken tied up in a slinky with some duct tape. You know, like... And you squeeze it and it goes, help me. Because that's a different situation than a literal That's That's fair. In my mind, I was like, "You're, you're being the bravest, which... In well, both, truth, yeah. yeah, flight attendants are pretty dang brave. Oh, I mean, God. they're in a plane all the time. So, <laughs> Emma's, Emma's literal nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> like, you have to go to work on one of those every day. <laughs> Why would I do that? Uh, you get to travel? See, I, I enjoy that, but I, I crave the day of teleportation without losing limbs yeah. or, my, or my life or brain. So. That would be nice. I want that. Well, Miles, get working on that. You might just be a train conductor now, babe. But you could, you the could be of transportation. You could. I believe in you. Oh my gosh! What if we're like in our nineties and riding a train or going on an airplane are like vintage hipster things to do? Or sitting around telling our grandkids, like, well, back in my day, I would take the the old Amtrak. From Lynchburg to Newark. And they're like, oh, Grandma, that's so wild. <laughs> like, Snap their fingers so, or in the like, kitchen. So aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> you rode a train? Wow. Did you look at a mape as well? A mape? A mape. <laughs> Did you have a ticket? Ticket? To quit? is not that funny <laughs> but it is but it so is all right um continue right she asked to see the bomb She's not like, the where bomb. are we what happened so obviously this man wanted to prove to her that his threat was good and so the man acquiesced and opened the case long enough for her to glimpse eight red cylinders stacked four on top of four a large cylindrical battery and red insulation around the wires attached to the red cylinders just a lot of red a lot of red buddy danger yeah i guess he quickly closed the case and told her his demands he wanted two hundred thousand dollars in quote negotiable american currency end quote which we'll get into later because i have no clue what that means are you an alien right (laughs) (laughs) like what does it even mean um he wanted four parachutes And he wanted a fuel truck for the plane when it arrived in Seattle. So he wasn't trying to divert the plane as it was right now. Mm -hmm. He wanted it to go to its destination. Mm -hmm. 
So at this point, Florence is starting to panic a bit, like no duh. And the man calms her down, telling her that she should go tell the pilots his demands and that it will all be okay. And it, it like, soothes her enough that she gets up. Like, this is your fault, buddy. (laughs) Okay. So Florence calmed down enough to get to the cockpit and tell the pilot and co-pilot what was happening. When she returned to her seat, the jump seat, the man had put on dark sunglasses, which is like, it's a little late, bud. She knows your face. What do you... I think it it was probably one of those moments where he's like talking to her, talking to her. She leaves and he goes, oh, crap, the pivotal part of my plan. Every actor has had that moment when you're on stage and you realize that there's something you should have done before you came on stage. I distinctly remember in Twelfth Night, like at the beginning of the show as Viola, I was a girl, right? Mm -hmm. I got shipwrecked, blah, blah, blah. And then I go and I she put on wrecked, wrecked. Um, and then I go put on like boy clothes, mm-hmm. and I was supposed to put my hair up in a ponytail. You know, like boys do. Yeah, I had those luscious Renaissance locks. You, you did. Know? And I just Still remember do. sitting on because the next scene when I'm like in my boy clothes, I'm like sitting on the floor pretending to be like a servant dude, just like listening. And I distinctly remember, like, looking down and I could, like, see my hair hanging down. And I was like, <laughs> I forgot something. I forgot. And as soon as I came off stage, it was like, it might have been Melora or maybe just the stage manager being like, Cheryl and Melora said, I was like, I know. I know. I'm aware. I couldn't do anything. Because once you're on stage, you don't want to do it. Yeah. Right? Like, they always tell you don't touch your hair, don't touch your costume, unless it's, like, a specific character choice. So I was like, well, if I do anything now, it'll draw attention to the fact that it was down in the first place, so... Yep. And you've already said things, so it's not like you're just coming out and like, haha, I've just put myself together as a boy. Like, (laughs) nope, you're in the middle of a scene. Anyway. Yeah, he just, But yeah, you know, he, forgot, he forgot He forgot his, his pivotal prop. <laughs> His pivotal prop of sunglasses To disguise his face Which at this point, dude, it's like already too late Like why even yeah, do really. it But whatever So the pilot contacted air traffic control Who in turn let the local authorities In Seattle know what was happening So over the in-flight intercom The pilot told the passengers That they were going to be delayed Due to, quote, minor mechanical difficulties End quote. Which, during your flight, saying minor mechanical difficulties is not a, that's not minor. There's mechanical difficulties on the plane while you're, while you're flying. That's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's scarier. That's scarier than a bomb. I'm not, I'm not into that. And it's like, just lie to me. Tell me it's the weather. Yeah, seriously. Just lie to me. I don't know anything about anything. Just tell me. Just lie. It also makes no sense to say minor mechanical difficulties because the flight had to circle over Puget Sound for two hours to allow the Seattle police and the FBI time to get all of the man's demands covered and get emergency personnel together. So, like, if you have minor mechanical difficulties... Why would you be flying around for an extra two hours? Right. Who's having the me- the mechanical difficulties? The plane? Or right. the airport? Like, what? Better to just lie and say, it. it's rainy in Seattle. You can just say, oh, weather conditions, we have to, like, delay. We have to take a couple turns around. Take Puget a couple Sound. laps. Like you do. That's interesting, though, that they immediately, like, 
we're going to fulfill his demands. Well, he does technically have a plane of almost, what, 41 people hostage? Well, right, but, I mean, I feel like in a lot of the, the television shows that I watch on CBS that are definitely geared for, like, 45-year-old men Woo. and me. Um, and you. You're a 45-year-old man on the yeah. inside, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, get off my lawn. She says to the squirrels. Get off my lawn. Can't. What was I saying? Oh, I feel like a lot of the times in those situations, they tell the the terrorists, yes, we'll fulfill, but the fact that they are actually working to gather the money instead of saying, yes, we will totally gather that negotiable American currency for you. And then when he get up, when they land, they're like, swarm, ha ha, we got you. Yeah, but remember, this is 1971. Airplanes are still... Like, passenger air flight is still fairly in its infancy in terms of security, and hijacking planes has only recently come to be a thing. So, it actually, after this incident, there were a lot of copycats, Mm. and there was just people hijacking planes with, like... Pretend a bombs in their bag. <laughs> yeah, their rubber chicken slinky. Yes, exactly. Um, so the president of the airline approved the two hundred thousand dollar ransom. I didn't look up to see how much money that is in today's money, but my guess is somewhere around a million because this is nineteen seventy one. And interesting inflation. that it's the airline and not um, law enforcement. Yeah, I wonder if it had to do with the fact that it was, like, international air or something like that. I don't know. I have no clue. Um, So, at one point, flight attendant Tina Mucklow recalls the man looking out of the window and saying, quote, looks like Tacoma down there, end quote, as they flew over Tacoma. He also correctly said that the Seattle-Tacoma airport was a 20-minute drive to the McCord Air Force Base at the time. That was where McCord used to be, and now it's moved. Mukla was surprised that he knew the area so well, and she also said, quote, he wasn't nervous. He seemed rather nice. He was never cruel or nasty. He was thoughtful and calm all the time, end quote. Which, at this point, hijacking isn't necessarily common, but the hijackings that have happened before this are, like, men brandishing guns and being like, take me to Cuba and give me all your money, like, that kind Mm. of stuff. Um, whereas this guy's sitting in a suit and tie, like, give me your money. That's it. <laughs> Please. Please. <laughs> Please, or I will blow us all to smithereens. But I'd rather not. But so I'd rather could not. could you just give me some negotiable American negotiable. currency? I still, just interesting choice of words, my dude. All right, so, this man was polite soft-spoken, kind, and tried to keep everyone calm. He also ordered another bourbon and soda and paid his drink tab, trying to give Mucklow the extra change, and she, like, refused it. She was like, keep it. He also offered to get the crew meals when they all landed in Seattle. Dude, I don't think they're going to want to hang out with you. Right? I don't know. Maybe this is just a gigantic ploy to make friends, but he has no clue. do not go doing this. I know you're lonely. (laughs) We have it on the record that you're lonely, but please don't go hijacking a plane in order to make friends. I would never hijack a plane. I'd hijack maybe a a train. 
Don't it's on, say that on the record. That's true. I, I wouldn't actually. I have no reason to. But, like, I have also no reason to hijack a plane because I hate planes. This is true. I wouldn't want... I wouldn't... I wouldn't do that. Especially in the way that he ends up doing this. Like, mm-mm. No, thank you. So, the ransom was pulled together in 10,000... Yeah. Sorry. $10,020 bills, which each were microfilmed. So that they had some kind of record Mm. of the serial numbers the man also demanded that the military issue parachutes they had collected for him on the ground were to be exchanged for civilian civilian ones so that they had to get some from the local skydiving school (laughs) which the fact that there's a local a local skydiving school seattle he, he wanted the manually operated rip cords on the parachutes instead of the military grade ones, which have both a manual and one that at a certain altitude just like opens. Oh. Um, okay. At least so far as I found, Miles, if you would like to correct me, feel free. <laughs> I can say nothing with confidence on this. <laughs> it was found later that of the four parachutes that they gave him, one of them was a dummy unit, usable. Uh, or, no, it was unusable, but marked as unusable, that any experienced skydiver could see was non-functional. So I think it had, like, a specific symbol on it that told skydivers that this specific pack is unusable. It had a ripcord that didn't actually pull anything. But why does that exist? I don't know. I thought about that, too, and I have no clue why it exists. Unless it's just... Sh- unless it's just... It must be for, for show. Like, to show how to, like, put it on and Maybe. stuff. Maybe. And, like, demonstrate, this is how you pull the ripcord without, without like, yeah, like, against the wall. Sort of like the flight attendants have their, like, yeah. demonstration purposes, life vest. Yeah. That has to be it. Like, I can't understand why else it would exist. But it has to I be I would it. hope you would keep that one, like, in the classroom on the ground and not in the plane. Right? <laughs> That'd be... So okay. when they they gathered this for him, the inclusion of the dummy one was accidental. So they didn't they didn't try to do that, oh, but it okay. was like it must have been like a closet. Mm. <laughs> they were like pulling these, like the police want the police want these. Right. So, but that that's noted because it wasn't left over. He took the dummy one with him, but the reason they think that he wanted four was so that they wouldn't give him all messed up ones because of the possibility that he might take a hostage with him. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I think he was trying to, like, play the game, but interesting nonetheless. So, finally, at 5.39 p.m., the plane landed at the Seattle-Tacoma airport. It was about an hour after sunset, and the man told the pilot, Scott, to get the jet to a brightly lit section of the apron, which I had no idea that that was what the, uh, I'm going to say asphalt of the, of the, of the plane where it, where it drives. I'm sorry, what? I can't, I can't. The runway? Runway! Oh! I, I thought you were looking, I thought there was like, runway and then apron is there like is. a separate it is but it's like part that part of the runway that is like larger so like it's where all of them are and then the runway is the space that they use in order to either take off or land okay so the part where you're taxiing 
between your gait and yes. the actual runway. I believe that is called the apron, but I had okay. no clue that's what it was called. We thank got you, there. thank you for meddling through that with me. Um, so Scott was told get the jet to a, bl- a brightly lit section of the apron, and then to close all of the window shades so that potential snipers couldn't take a safe shot. Oh. So he's thinking this through. Smart. The operations manager for the airport dropped off the knapsack with the money and parachutes by the stairs to Tina Mucklow, and once the man confirmed that his demands had been met, he ordered all of the passengers, Florence Schaffner and senior flight attendant Alice Hancock, to leave the plane. So the people who were left were the cockpit crew, which included pilot Scott, co-pilot Ratadsnack, Ratadsnack, I'm so sorry. And flight engineer Harold E. Anderson, as well as flight attendant Tina Mucklow. So he has all these people Mm -hmm. with him on the plane and lets everyone else leave safely. Mm -hmm. What were you going to say? Just poor Tina. I know, right? She's like, why didn't you take Florence? You talked to her first. (laughs) Right? I, I feel so bad. But I'm sure, I'm sure too that like. After, after all dealing with all of this, the likelihood that they were like, okay, we don't think that he's actually going to hurt us is pretty high. But... Right. Well, if he's been very like chill the whole time, yeah. And I mean, it was still letting, scary. If but he's like... letting the other passengers go, that implies that if they just like help him out, then then they'll they're be safe. Fine. Yeah. yeah. So the man was very specific about the flight plan he intended to take. So while the plane refueled, he spoke to the crew about what he wanted. And I copy-pasted this from Wikipedia because it was so specific. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed like the most concise space. Because the FBI space that that has all of this kind of stuff on it didn't give me anything that was concise. So here we go from the mother source. A southeast course towards Mexico City at the minimum airspeed possible without stalling the aircraft at a maximum 10,000-foot altitude. He further specified that the landing gear remain deployed in the takeoff and landing position, the wing flaps to be lowered 15 degrees, and the cabin remain unpressurized. Co-pilot Ritadznak informed Cooper that the aircraft's range was limited to approximately 1,000 miles under the specified flight configuration, which meant that a second refueling would be necessary before entering Mexico. Cooper and the crew discussed options and agreed on Reno, Nevada as a refueling stop. Cooper further directed that the aircraft take off with the rear exit door open and its staircase extended. Northwest's home office objected on grounds that it was unsafe to take off with the aft staircase deployed. Cooper countered that it was indeed safe, but he would not argue the point. He would lower it once they were airborne. This is all very specific. He knows this plane. He knows his way around a plane, yeah. Yeah, so he, he definitely knows what he's talking about. And the fact that they, like, had, like, a little discussion and were like, like, um, so we need to stop somewhere. Where, where do we stop? Where, where do we, we stop? stop? Ooh, Reno. Let's stop in Reno. Let's stop in Reno. Well, and I love that the airline was like, um, so it it's not safe to take off 
with a staircase. Like, and meanwhile, he's like, yeah, it is. But you know what? I'm not going to argue. I won't the point. argue. I'll just do it when I'm up there. Like, it's so civil. Um, okay. It's very odd. So, after a vapor lock was fixed on the aircraft and it was completely refueled, the plane again took off at about 7.40 p.m. Two F-106 fighter pilots, or fighter planes, were scrambled up from McCord Air Force Base and followed behind the aircraft, one above and one below, so that the man couldn't see them out of any of the plane windows, which Mm -hmm. I think is very smart. Mm Mm-hmm. There was also a plane diverted to the emergency from another mission from the Air National Guard, but it ran low on fuel and quickly turned around. So they were like, um, can you go check on this? Yeah, sure. Oh, I can't stay. Oh, sorry. Sorry, bye. Sorry, guys. Gotta go. <laughs> so Mucklow was told by the man to stay in the cockpit with the rest of the crew and keep the door closed. As she did so, she noticed the man tying something around his waist, which she guessed was the money bag, and closed the door. Bye. So, let's talk about the jump. So, around 8 p.m., a warning light came on in the cockpit, showing that the aft air stair had been activated. Co-pilot Ritaznek got on the intercom and asked, quote, Everything okay back there? Anything we can do for you? End quote. <laughs> this is the most polite hijacking right? of all time. And the man yelled back calmly, no. No, I'm good. I'm good, homie. Thank you. You have a good one. Say hi to your mom. I'm good, homie. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so the crew noticed soon after that that there was a change in air pressure in the cabin, which meant that the aft door must have been opened. So the staircase opens without the door being opened. Mm. At 8.13 p.m., the plane's tail suddenly swept upward, large enough of a movement to require the pilot to take measures to bring it back to level flight. So, because it was really sudden, it just, like, kicked up, and he Mm. had to, like, maneuver it. It wasn't until about 10.15 that they were able to land at the Reno airport in Nevada. When they did, the air stair was still deployed. All sorts of law enforcement surrounded the plane, from FBI to sheriff's deputies, as no one knew if the man was still on board. Like, they don't know if maybe he just decided not to, not to jump. A quick armed search, though, determined that he had for sure jumped out of the plane. So all of his belongings are gone, he's gone, and two of the parachutes are gone. Mm-hmm. So, now what? The FBI got to work on an investigation, finding 66 unidentified fingerprints in the cabin of the plane. The man's black clip-on tie. (laughs) Clip-on tie? Don't even wear a real tie. Come on, man. What kind of haphazard situation? And on this clip-on tie is a tie clip. I can't. A tie clip clip on tie. <laughs> it sounds like a tongue twister. <laughs> I just I just love picturing him like he's got his money tied around his waist, he puts on the the parachutes, and then he opens the door and the wind is like whipping his hair and then he's just like 
I'm sick of playing this part. And he, like, unclips his tie and, like, throws it. And then he jumps. He's like, I'm no longer a businessman. I love that. I love that image so much. Also, imagine him getting ready to do this. And he, he looks in his closet and he goes... Yeah, no real tie. Clip on. Clip on. Waste Clip on. A real tie. Yeah. I can't dramatically take that off in one fluid movement. I would have to. I'd have, no, too much. <laughs> but a clip on. I can just. Oh, or maybe he thought like if I get caught on something on the way down, make sure I don't strangle myself. What are you? Gonna, what are you gonna get caught on? A tree? A tree? I don't know. Bear. <laughs> If you land on a bear, that hanging yourself from your tie is going to be your problem. <laughs> that, it's like that TikTok of the guy that's like, animals that I would pet with zero yes. regard for my own safety. It's like, why did they give, devil. Why'd they give baby bear such a boobable nose? <laughs> I will pet a baby bear. The mama bear will not be pleased. <laughs> I really like that guy. Oh. Uh, All right, so the clip-on tie is there. Clip-on tie with tie clip. Two of the four parachutes, one of which was opened and, like, cannibalized for parts. Oh. I don't know what that exactly means. My guess is that, and they, they talk about this a little bit in some of the other articles I read, was that he cannibalized it for parts, quote-unquote, in order to strap the money bag to oh, him. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because otherwise he wouldn't be able to like keep it on him right it's not like they gave him what was it two hundred thousand dollars in a fanny pack yeah no it was in like they call it a knapsack but my guess is it's like a duffel bag kind of situation so you should have specified a fanny pack i mean two hundred thousand dollars in a fanny pack what does that look like just a very fat (laughs) several fanny packs (laughs) because he just has like four fanny packs Yes. Oh, I kind of like that. His hips don't lie. He, like, double stacks them on his hips. Oh, it just I mean, looks like full dad mode. We're fanny Whips packs. off clip on tie. <laughs> He's like, I'm vacation dad now. <laughs> okay, but when did fanny packs become, like, relevant, iconic? Were they around in 1970? I have no clue like the history thing? of fanny packs. If you know, please write in. Please. <laughs> now I, but wait, now I want to know. Oh, Shannon's going to look it up, so I guess don't write in. Uh, please, if you have history about um, the history of fanny packs, what am I going to Google? Literally, history of history fanny packs. History of fanny packs. <laughs> One of my very favorite things, and I read I read a couple articles like this in, uh, in grad school, were either articles or books about the history of menial things. So, like, the history of the pencil Hmm. and stuff like that. And I love that. So now I really want to know the history of the fanny pack. Oh, no. What? All right. So, first of all, shout out to any of our UK listeners who are laughing at us for calling it a fanny pack. Bum bag. (laughs) Right. Um... But there's a photo on this Wikipedia page, and the caption is, A person wearing a fanny (laughs) cap... 
<laughs> a person wearing a fanny pack stands with arms akimbo. What? I'm like, somebody clearly had to practice their SAT words. Right? That's such a good word, though. Um, and then they specifically talk about the difference of the word fanny in American versus British English. Oh, my gosh. English. Although that does make sense, because I have seen more people wear it on their front than on their back. Mm-hmm. Which, if you wear it on your back, it's a bum bag. Mm-hmm. If you wear it on your front, it's a fanny pack. There you go. Um... Historically, the bag was positioned in front of the body so people could protect themselves from bandits. And then it talks about... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. How old? How old I'm getting there. It's saying one origin is Native American buffalo patches, which were used instead of sewing pockets into clothing. Okay. So up to 5,000 years ago. Okay. And well, then Europeans had medieval belt pouches and skin like uh, the scottish a, yeah. had sp- sporin. sporin sporin there you go <laughs> that's the scottish sporin is a similar belted pouch that survived because of the impracticality of pockets in a kilt <laughs> why though because Skirts with pockets well, are convenient. No, kilts are actually just like oh, it's one almo- fabric, it's one whole right. thing, and it traditionally kilts would be the skirt portion as well as the sash oh, right. that you would use in order to like hold over your head when it was raining or like keep warm or whatever. But you still had a skirt, but you needed to be able to like put that sash piece back around yourself, right. and so getting to pockets in that is difficult. This segment brought to you by Emma's stint at the Scotland House in Williamsburg, Virginia. I mean, yeah. If you need a kilt, I know where you can go. There you go. Um, okay. But the information we really came yes, here for. back to the fanny pack. I'm sorry. Uh, the modern version was made from synthetic materials, and it came into use in the 1980s, mm. and they were especially in vogue in the 1990s. Okay. But gradually, their use fell into decline in the the 2000s. And then it says, their use was satirized by the American humorist Weird Al Yankovic in his song, White and Nerdy. I love him. So there's an unexpected celebrity mention for you if you're playing along on the bingo card. Um, Weird Al Yankovic, Weird Al Yankovic. This is such an extensive wikipedia article we do not need all of this i mean but do we do you need to know what is commonly stored in a oh gosh no 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 they give a whole long list ten thousand ten thousand twenty dollar bills ten thousand twenty dollar bills that's what is commonly stored all right sorry there you go (laughs) you got a little bonus mini episode on the history of the bum bag you're welcome (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, where did I where did I, I end up? I literally don't know. I've oh, it was about so many cannibal cannibalizing the the parachute. I thought you were saying Hannibal Lecter, and I was like, <laughs> what? What? So, Hannibal Lecter shows up. <laughs> he pops out of the, the overhead compartment. It's like Clarice. <laughs> no, he says Tina. <laughs> oh no, leave Tina alone. Seriously, leave Tina alone. Oh my god. Um. So, the fact that he didn't recognize the dummy one and cannibalize that for parts is interesting. Mm-hmm. He instead cannibalizes one that is useful and takes a dummy one with him. 
but he takes two. So he takes the dummy one and a usable one. Right. And their thought is that he put both of them on. Well, maybe he took the dummy one not for parachute reasons, but so he'd have parts on the ground. Because I'm sure, Mm. like, lost mash style, you could turn that into a hammock or a tent or something. Oh my gosh, you're so smart. You should be a detective. I read the book Hatchet many, many times as a child. (laughs) Many, many times. And yet you don't like camping. God, no. (laughs) He almost died so many times. He should be dead. That book is fiction, 100%. (laughs) Alright, so eyewitnesses were also interviewed and sketches were developed of the man. Oh, right, from the crew. Yeah, like eyewitnesses. Tina and Florence and Scott and uh, Ratadsnag, who I still can't say your name. I'm so sorry. Um... All right, so possible suspect were, suspects were compiled and questioned, one of whom being an Oregon man named D.B. Cooper. On the off chance that this man, who had bought his ticket under the name Dan Cooper, had used his real name. D.B., though, was quickly ruled out as a suspect, despite his minor police record, because it was he had an alibi. He was like, yeah, this totally wasn't me, you guys. Mm-hmm. However... James Long, a local Portland reporter, was rushing to meet a deadline and confused the suspect who had been eliminated with the hijacker's alias. Mm -mm. The error was republished so many times that it just became part of public memory. Mm. So that is why we know this case as the mystery of D.B. Cooper. Right. Man. His name that he gave was Dan Cooper. Right. And yet we still hold on to it as, like, D.B. Cooper. (laughs) Which is so funny to me because it's very much like one dude was like, ooh, crap, I'm late, DB. And now it's just forever in our brains. That poor actual DB Cooper. Though. Right? He's like, guys, it wasn't me. It I'm so wasn't me. I can't. Oh, I can't do it. So, where did Cooper end up? It was hard to figure out a precise space to investigate in order to find the man, dead or alive, and or the money. Because they wanted to at least be able to, like, see if maybe he dropped it and then they Mm -hmm. could track whatever he had left with it, all that kind of stuff. Um, Or, at the very least, have somewhere to start. Because the plane, yeah, he jumps out of it, but where? When? When, exactly. Any small difference in the plane's speed, the weather conditions along the flight path determined by location, altitude, and the like, and the amount of time he remained in freefall before he pulled the ripcord of his parachute if he pulled it at all, can just completely mess with where he might end up. Well, and he specifically asked for the civilian shoot so he could be 100% in control of when he pulls exactly. the ripcord. Exactly. So, weirdly, neither of the Air Force planes flanking the aircraft saw anyone jump out or saw a parachute open. I completely forgot that they were there. Right? I did too. But there was extremely limited visibility at that point because it was night, there was cloud cover obscuring any light that could come from below because even though this plane is flying low, it's still above clouds. Hmm. So he basically went through clouds to the ground. Very cinematic. Right? Um, so there was no light coming from below because it was it was covered by clouds. But he was also dressed all in black. 
Mm-hmm. So if it's night, you can't see that. And he's wearing sunglasses. <laughs> forgot about the sunglasses. But no tie. No clip-on tie. Uh, and so the FBI decided, let's recreate it. Oh, oh, oh. So they had Scott <laughs> pilot. I'm sorry. I did not expect that. What? Yep. They were like, we're going to survivor dream team this situation. We're going to do it like it's for real. Okay, people. Wow. This is not a drill. Oh, my God. So, they had Scott pilot the same aircraft on the same flight path, and FBI agents pushed a 200-pound sled out of the open air stair. What in the Mythbusters? <laughs> right? To reproduce the upward motion the flight crew felt at 8.13 p.m., which was determined to be the likely jump time. Wait, that's crazy. The fact that one man jumping out would cause the back of a plane to so dramatically yeah but if you think about it you know how like when you're on the highway and you're going like 75 miles per hour and uh-huh. you you were holding on to your steering wheel and like you just lightly like turn it in order to correct yourself to make yourself straight mm-hmm. if you turned that even just a little bit more you'd go off into like the median or something because you're go that that speed right is what's determining like how how much of a correction you need to make that's true. So, I would think that that is probably why, but it is insane to think about. Also, I'm just imagining, because they have to tether themselves to this plane in order to push right. this out without falling out themselves. So, they're just tethered to this plane, pushing 200 pounds out of it, and then holding on. CrossFit, like, get out of here. Um, I love it, though. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, also, thankfully, I've never been on a, a commercial aircraft with the, uh, any of the doors open right? in place. So, like, to me, I'm like, that's crazy. But then, like, maybe. Yeah. But it's, it's also unpressurized, too, because that was one of his stipulations was to keep the cabin unpressurized. Right. right so right, that right, nothing right. would get, like, sucked out. That's true. So. Sorry. I'm trying to see if there was actually any Mythbusters about this. <laughs> oh, that's a good. I, that I did not even think about. Okay, no. No. But apparently, they say Warehouse 13, his ripcord is yes, in Warehouse 13, which is cool. It is. That is a TV show I just finished. It is I on... I need to watch it. Well, it's on Amazon um, Prime, but it's also it's through IMDb TV, so it has mm. ads, mm. which honestly didn't bother me all that much. They were no longer than like 30, 90 seconds, so it's not like it was cool. that bad. All right. So... The FBI fully mythbusters it. And with this, they were able to make an educated guess that Cooper jumped out of the aircraft just over the Lewis River in southwestern Washington, which, when he jumped, was having a heavy rainstorm. Oh, that doesn't seem enjoyable. Uh Uh-uh. So, search efforts ensued above and below the Lewis River, with agents and deputies searching large swaths of land on foot and in helicopters, knocking on doors, and running patrol boats along the reservoirs to the east of the river. So they're basically taking a radius and going... Okay, but even though I feel jumping conditions-wise, a rainstorm would be not ideal, in terms of getting away, rainstorm is good because it'll eliminate, you know, your footprints and stuff. Exactly. I guess unless I'm, the mud is, like, very deep. And, I mean, 
it depends on how long he was planning this for, but he may have known this is a good spot to jump. Right. Well, and if it's a river, maybe he has a boat sashed or an accomplice. And he does know the area. Or, like, so. he can go further up or down river without leaving footprints or his scent for yeah. dogs or anything. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I think he really thought through this, but we'll get I mean, <laughs> let's hope so. <laughs> so, they did all the searching, but they had no trace of Cooper or any of the items that he would have had on him. So they couldn't find any of the par- parachutes. They couldn't find any of the money. They couldn't find any of his clothing. They couldn't no find sunglasses. Any, no sunglasses. <laughs> so an aerial search was organized as well, going along the entire flight path, which was referred to as Vector 23 in Cooper literature, because there are people who like will take this investigation, this case, and just go crazy. Um, I didn't use too many of them. I think I only technically used one. Um, but Vector 23 is very, the popular way to describe this flight path. Cool. But. Also is going to be the name of our next album. Vector, yeah. We'll Vector send it 23 to for the album art. Yeah. So ve- Vector 23. Vector 23. Wouldn't that be such Robert, a good, like, indie album? Yeah. And the song, the songs on it are Sunglasses, Rubber Chicken in a Slinky, <laughs> and Fanny Pack Bum Bag. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say, and $20,000 fanny pack. There you go. There it is. <laughs> and also, special bonus track, Poor Tina. Poor Tina. It was just poor Tina for the whole entire song. <laughs> we'll workshop it. Are, really? Because that, that's gold. <laughs> Maybe we're writing two different albums. Maybe. You know, you never know. Is this is this the moment when we decide we're done? Like we You're breaking we, up the band? Apparently. You're making me pull off this clip. <laughs> that's I will that's pull the off other this. song. That's the other song. <laughs> clip on tie. Another bonus track, Vacation Dad. Vacation Dad. And, oh, I, love it. I we are so committed to our own bits. I hope people appreciate it. As much I just we do. I don't care. I'm here for you. Wow. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. Okay, guys. All right. So, how did we get there? Vector 23. Mm-hmm. So, it's referred to as Vector 23 in Cooper literature, but Victor 23 in standard aviation terminology because Victor for V mm-hmm. um, in like the code for military, military. there you go i couldn't remember i don't know that. if that's what it's i mean it's 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 code yeah. alphabet or whatever but yeah so victor 23 but they've changed it because vector's cooler those are also some of my favorite uh tiktoks where people are trying to come up with things they're like s is in slinky yeah h is in hannibal lecter <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So, objects found in trees or broken treetops were investigated, but nothing relevant popped up. So this aerial search didn't produce anything either. Turns out that they were real wrong about where the drop zone probably was. How wrong? Real wrong. Real wrong. wrong. 
Scott had been flying the plane manually in order to follow Cooper's speed and altitude demands, and so figured out that his flight path was actually farther east than he realized when they did the test, which was on autopilot. I am not a scientist. Shocking. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh my gosh, wait, what? <laughs> Shocking, been lying I know. to this, been lying but... to me this whole time? Come on now. You're supposed to, all the variables have to stay the same. I mean, but in a in a time of stress, maybe he wasn't really thinking about no, the fact that he... No, but I'm saying he, when they're recreating the test. But he was, he was also, quote-unquote, driving that plane, too, so... Driving the plane. Flying the plane. Yeah, he was driving it. But, I don't know. Somebody on... Yeah, someone, some, someone missed something. Some nerd with a pocket protector should have been like, um, actually... That was rude. That was a stereotype. I apologize. It's fine. It's Miles. I'm kidding. <laughs> we do have scientists that listen to this show, Emma. We do. Such I, as we have Chief Archaeologist Tom <laughs> K. <laughs> who I don't think, I almost forgot. I, who I don't think would require a pocket protector, but No, he's too cool for that. Please let us know. All right, anyway. Anyway. They were real wrong. How wrong? Real, real wrong. wrong. Put that on the merch. Yeah, real wrong. The wind direction calculations had also been wrong by about 80 degrees, which is significant. This and other data suggested that the actual spot was somewhere south-southeast of the original space, near where the Wasugal River drained. Wasugal is my guess. <laughs> That that sounds fake. That sounds made up. It sounds like something from the Muppets. <laughs> yes, but it's probably it's probably beautifully novel. Native American. Probably, but it, it in in tone it sounds like something out of the Muppets. A month after the hijack, the FBI sent out the lists of the ransom serial numbers from the bills to casinos, racetracks, and other businesses routinely associated with large cash transactions. They also sent it around to other law enforcement agencies around the world in case he had skipped the country. Mm -hmm. So, there were no sign of the bills, no matter what they tried. Rewards were offered for anyone who recovered the money, and in early 1972, the Attorney General released the serial numbers to the public to try and get these mm -hmm. ransom notes found. In 1972... Two men printed counterfeit $20 bills with the Cooper serial numbers on them and successfully swindled a Newsweek reporter out of $30,000 in exchange for an interview with a man they claimed was the hijacker. He wasn't. <laughs> so, this is, this is still a huge... I mean, it's a, this is a huge story for a few years. This is something yeah. crazy that they can't find this dude. Eventually, the Minnesota Supreme Court, specifically Minnesota because that's where the Northwest Orient offices were oh okay um paid the $180,000 claim on the ransom money in 1975 since the bill still hadn't been found I don't know how that works Miles please let me know my guess is that because they basically quote-unquote borrowed the money from the banks for ransom because that's how uh -huh. how that works in terms of law but the hope is that they either recover the money or recover the person and then the loan is forgiven or whatever. That because neither were found, they had to find a way to pay back the bank or the loan or whatever. So hmm. that's my guess. Okay. I'm probably wrong. Um, yeah, I don't Let know. me know. 
I don't mind being wrong so long as you tell me, because otherwise I'm going to believe it. On July 8th, 2016, the oh. FBI suspended the active investigation into the Cooper case to redistribute resources and manpower to more urgent cases. The fact <laughs> that it had still been going yeah. is insane to I me. I wonder if there's anybody who, like, started their career... And then they just, like, were on that case for, like, their whole FBI career. I, I'm sure there has to be somebody. What a good show. That's the television show I want. Just the D.B. The like, Cooper Files. Yeah, but how exhausting would that be? It would be very exhausting. To spend your whole career on it would a be single case. Min- minute details. But, I mean, Paul Holes did it, and... It's true. They found the Golden State Killer. It's true. So, maybe that was the hope. I mean, I'm sure it is the hope when you get on a case that's unsolved that you solve it. That is everybody would the hope. Wa- oh, you'd want to be the person, right? Especially when it's like an older case, right? Uh, yeah. So, regardless of the fact that the case has been suspended, the ev- evidence is still being accepted, specifically related to the parachutes or the ransom money that may reappear. There is a 60-volume case file built over the course of the 45 years of investigation, stored at the FBI headquarters in D.C. There is also a 28-part packet of evidence gathered that is open to the public for viewing. And it's basically, it's lots, lots of paperwork. Mm. Lots of testimonials, lots of, like, we listened to this guy talk, turns out that he had nothing to do with it, all that kind of stuff. Mm. But it's still, quote-unquote, evidence. So. Right. So let's talk about physical evidence. It's scarce, but it's there. So we know what he looked like. The flight attendants, both Schaffner and Mucklow, were interviewed the night of the hijacking in different cities and gave the same description. He was about 5 foot 10, 180 pounds, mid-40s, with close-set brown eyes, and what they called, quote, swarthy skin. Which I think means he was, like, kind of tan. Yeah. He had some olive undertones, right? maybe. Yeah. So I don't really... Like, Italian? I don't know. I don't know. Basically, tans tans in the sunshine. What's that like? Right? I have no clue. Mother? Cries, in, cries in Irish. <laughs> cries in extreme Irish. As for items left behind that we know were his, we have the black clip-on tie <laughs> and the mother of pearl tie clip. Oh, fancy. We also had eight cigarette butts. The butts have, of course, been lost. <laughs> Sorry. Track number eight. Eight cigarette butts. Eight cigarette butts. Duh. Literally. lost. Literally. Oh my. We're just writing an old school Fall Out Boy album. But only the titles. Yeah, no, we're not writing the songs. Are you joking? Just, we're, we're just, Pete Wentz, when you listen to this, I know you're a big fan. Oh, yeah, totally. You just call us. You're more than welcome to to use this concept. You're, yeah. I mean, credit us, but yeah. Yeah, I require tickets, please. For forever. Not just to that show, but for forever. Yeah, for forever. What my lawyer said. <laughs> that, that, that's me. <laughs> yeah. All right, so. The tie and the tie clip were not announced to the public for almost 20 years after the hijacking as in possession. Probably because it was the only item of his that they had. Mm -hmm. And so in order to question people, they wanted to basically not tell anyone that it was a clip-on tie. So that if they were questioning someone and they said, yes, I did it, 
all right, so what were you wearing? Mm-hmm. And they said a tie, what kind of tie? Mm-hmm. Like they would it basically trying to get that out of them. Right. So that's my guess. In 1978, an instruction manual printout for lowering the stairs of this particular 727 were found about 13 miles from Castle Rock, Washington, which was within Flight 305's flight path that night. Hmm. So, did he know how to lower this, or was he, like, making sure he did it right so that he didn't die? Don't know. In February 1980, eight-year-old Brian Ingram was with his family vacationing on the Columbia River at the beachfront, about nine miles from Vancouver, Washington. He found three packets of the ransom cash as he was on the riverbank trying to help build a campfire. He was, like, digging for a campfire and just, like, these bills pack. surfaced. <laughs> <A> fanny pack <laughs> that just says money on it. Money. Uh, the bills were falling apart, but still bundled together with rubber bands. So these bills were like mm-hmm. loose, basically, in rubber banded packets yeah. that he found. The FBI confirmed that the money was indeed part of the ransom. All still arranged the way that Cooper had received it. These bills were split 50-50 between Ingram and the airline's insurance, and the FBI retained 14 for evidence. So it wasn't 50-50. I don't know why I did that. I'm surprised they gave the kid any money. Well, I mean, he found it. There was still I know, but like... Yeah. Interesting. Ingram kept these and sold 15 of them at auction for about $37,000 in 2008. Right? Smart child. I bet you, though, that what his it, when he told his parents this happened, like, his mom was like, that is your, that is your life savings now. Like, this is, this is what we're doing. Don't be coming to us for college money. <laughs> right? So, I mean, smart. Hold on to them. No other bills have shown up, but there has been potential evidence in the form of a, quote, decades-old parachute strap end quote, that had been found in the area, as well as a piece of foam thought to be part of his backpack, although I have no clue how that fits in. That was all it was described as. Well, as as part of the um, backpack that has the parachute in it. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So, the theories. Specifically, suspect profiling. So this is what the FBI and other law enforcement agencies have compiled of what we, quote-unquote, know Mm -hmm. about this man. Cooper seemed familiar with the Seattle area, confirmed by Mucklow, and could have possibly been an Air Force vet, considering he knew where McCord Air Force Base was, which most civilians wouldn't know or think to comment on at the time. Either that or he was, like, an Air Force brat or something. Right. But he also knew all the different, like, wing flaps at this degree and yeah, yada yada. exactly. This is a considerably risky way to get money. So the guess is that he must have been either desperate or wanted to prove that it could be done. So either he was just desperate or he was just a huge risk taker and didn't mm-hmm. care. He was a Kennedy. Oh, he had the gene. Just kidding. Agents also thought that it was possible that the man took his alias from a Belgian comic book popular during the 70s, which starred a fictional hero named Dan Cooper, who was a Royal Canadian Air Force test pilot, which, first of all, 
a Belgian comic book about a Canadian Royal Air Force <laughs> test pilot. <laughs> it's, it seems convoluted, but enjoyable. But this test pilot took part in huge adventures and heroic feats, sometimes including parachuting out of planes. Mm. These comics, however, were not ever translated into English, nor were they ever sold in the U.S., so the man must have encountered them elsewhere in the world. So maybe he wasn't an American. The man could have been Canadian, where the comics were sometimes sold, though not in English, and it followed with his demand for, quote, negotiable American currency, end quote, which no American would use as a phrase to extort money. Like, I definitely, I definitely wouldn't say no. negoti- negotiable. What is it negotiable as? Yeah, what is, is the money mean? negotiable or is the fact that it's American money negotiable? I, okay, seriously though, given the exchange rate, if you were trying to demand money at this point in right. 2021, I'd be like... Give me some British pounds, please. I'd be like 20,000 euro, please. Yes! Because that's significantly better. Yep. In the long run. Yeah, a little bit more stable. It was guessed because he had no discernible accent that he could have been Canadian because of it. Hmm. It was also suggested that Cooper knew aircrafts, like you said, and flying techniques. He chose this plane specifically because it was ideal for bailout escapes because there was an air stair behind the wings, but it also had three engines that were placed high and forward on the plane so that you couldn't get caught in them if you jumped from these aft stairs. Mm -hmm. He knew how long it would take to refuel the plane, which is just interesting. I don't even, I don't know how long it takes to refuel a plane. And that the air stair could be lowered during flight, something that, even the civilian flight crew wouldn't have been made aware of, and it couldn't be overridden from the cockpit. So the light could turn on and say that this has been mm. lowered, but they couldn't press a button and get it to go back up. That seems like a bit of a design flaw. Yeah, they they me. have fixed that. That is no longer possible. All right, that's good. Yeah. It is disputed if Cooper's actual jump was basically suicide. It is suggested that regardless of his outcome, Cooper most likely lost the ransom during his descent. But the findings of the ransom so far from the probable drop site makes makes others think that he dumped it knowing he couldn't spend it once he landed. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting to me only because thinking about how you don't dig that deep in order to build a campfire in sand. Mm -hmm. And this little kid found it when he first started digging. Mm-hmm. So that means to me that this money hadn't been there very long. But then what, how what is it degraded? It that he found? 1980. So nine years. Yeah. So I don't know if maybe it just got shifted up. Yeah, or like heavy rains washed away exactly. the top layers so, or something. I don't know. The hmm. fact that it also was pretty degraded, too. The money was pretty degraded. Right. If it was buried, why would it be degraded other than water? Because other than water, there wouldn't be any elements for it to encounter. Well, I feel like water, it's just paper. Well, no. American money is made out of cloth. Oh. It's basically rag paper, hmm. which is made with water, which means that it's both water-soluble 
And you can... Well, that's true. You leave a dollar in your pocket and you put it in the wash, it just gets a little rumpled. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. And even at this time, in 1971, it was still being made with rag, rag paper as it is now. So, hmm. the fact that I know that. Cooper's clothing and his choice of time were very important, too. He chose a four-day weekend to get out of the woods and get home and back to work. And if he decided to hitchhike, he more likely would get picked up in a suit and tie, which he was not wearing. <laughs> but like a suit, like a like a right. suit jacket and slacks and a white shirt. Um, then if he like wore t-shirt and jeans coming out of the middle of the woods. As well as hiding in plain sight at an airport and on a plane in a nondescript outfit. Wait. So he's super planned ahead. Can I ask you something that's yes. not really related? That's fine. We went on a tangent about fanny packs, so I think we're good. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> this is what happens when we haven't recorded in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just in so long. We're like, talk. oh my gosh, we need to just conversate. Okay. So I have had this thought, this this ongoing thought experiment since maybe high school. Okay. If you are driving along at night. Or I guess at any time. But this thought usually occurs to me at night. Um, like when I was driving back from Richmond after we saw Newsies that one time. It was dark. It was late. I was very tired and I was alone. And I was driving. And I had the thought of if somebody came out of the woods and they like had blood on them. They looked injured and they were like, help me, please. Somebody is chasing me. Yada, yada, yada. Would you help, like, would you let them into your car, or what would you do? Male or female? Um, I guess Not a that female. it should matter, but it does. I guess a female. Okay. Because that's usually what I think of. Can I see both their hands? Uh, I, I guess. Okay. I haven't gotten this in, my thought, in depth. My thought process is, if I am the only person on the road, uh-huh. that's an issue for my safety. So what I would do is I would pull over, but I wouldn't open my car doors or open my window. Mm -hmm. I would just pull over so that they had somewhere to, like, sit and, like, stay put. Mm -hmm. If someone was truly chasing them, then that's when, if they appeared, I would be, like, hop in the car. Because mm -hmm. then that's true. However, if I am not the only person on the road, I pull over, I put my, like, flashing lights on, and I pray that someone else pulls over with me and then I get them and in, in, like reassess and like figure it out. Mm -hmm. However, if this is not a female and it is a dude running out all bloody, I'm sorry. Bye, buddy. I'm so sorry. I'll kind of, I'll call 911 I'm so you. sorry if that feels sexist to anybody, but I just, I can't. Well, as a even, single, as a single white female, it's <laughs> a single person, specifically a woman, I myself i i want to be as altruistic as i possibly can but i I, ca I can't i think even if like even if you and i were in a car together or even if it was like me and a guy in a car i would not be opening my car i'd be like i, don't think I, I would like yell door. through the window i'd be like i'm gonna call them exactly you call you but call that was, that was what i was going to do i've read in the car, but like, enough and i've seen enough that i'm like no no 
You Spe- could be pretending to be a victim when actually, I mean, that's a very elaborate ruse. But it I is a very elaborate ruse. But like, I, I am minds. too afraid of getting better, hurt better and dying be, myself. Better be better to be kind of rude and cautious, and everybody gets out okay, than to just be trusting and trying to be helpful, and then. And I feel like if we really were ever in that situation, my brain would go, "That's not real," and keep driving. Um, maybe. Like, because I think, thinking that, about it as a thought process, I'm like, that, absolutely, I would stop, but I'd, like, figure out a way to, like, get help for them. But in truth, I'd probably be like, that's a ghost. Keep going. Was, wasn't that an episode of, um, Supernatural? Where they stop to help this girl? Yeah. And then it turns just, out that she's actually a ghost? And it's on a loop. Like, yeah. they, they have to keep going back to pick her up quote-unquote right her up and she's like help me help me and they're like we can't like you're dead you're stuck like we have to figure out how to make you unstuck and then they have to like chase the ghost that's like chasing her or something yeah it turns it's it's a very gross episode the fact that i remember the whole episode though is really disgusting he he takes apart things and people and animals all right moving on sorry yes you would be more likely to trust somebody yeah. Or, like, be willing to talk to them about hitchhiking if they were wearing a suit, unfortunately. Yeah, it is. It, but, I mean, for those instances, appearances matter. And also, being a, like, a dude in a suit and being a dude picking up another one is probably right. a different situation. But since I'm not a dude, I don't know. Oh, also, please write in or DM us your answer to my thought experiment of driving through the woods in a bloody hitchhiker. Yeah. Would you, what would you do? I love hearing what people say. Well, it makes me think about Maura Murray. Mm. And, like, if, if, how many people passed her and the person who probably ended up stopping for her, like, in that situation, as a victim, if that were me running, God forbid, knock on wood, like, running, thank you, (laughs) running out of the woods bloody from somebody. Right. I don't, I wouldn't want to get into another person's car. Oh, well, mm, I, I don't trust myself to run that fast. <laughs> Shannon's like, I'd already well, be no, dead. Well, because if you think about it, if you think about it, if you, if, I don't know in my scenario where this person's come from, but somewhere in a wood, wooded area, you've had to escape whatever building or containment they've had you in. If you're injured, it's hard to do that. And you're trying to run through the woods to get to a main road. At that point, I would be desperate for anybody to pick me up to help me. Or at least, like you said, like, to stay with me. Even if they're yeah. not letting me into their car. Like, I think in my in my brain, I'm like, at that point, I would trust nobody. But you'd have to. Well, yeah, in order to survive. Like, well, pick the... Lesser of two evils. What is... Oh. Whoa, whoa. She had to just short circuit. I'm trying to think. There was some. I don't remember if it was a movie or a TV show or even a documentary. But this girl, like, she got out of the house of the person that had her. Is this the vampire killer? No. Never mind. And she, like, ran away. Maybe <laughs> no. it is. I don't know. Maybe I heard about it on My Favorite Murder. And I, I don't know. But she, like, ran away 
And then somebody in a pickup truck stopped to help her. She's like, oh, thank God. And then they took her back to the place. Like, oh, my God. It was the dude who had kidnapped her because she hadn't seen his face. Oh, I see. And so she was just like, help me, help me. And he was like, yeah, I'll help you. Get back to my kitchen where I have put you on an island. (sighs) Anyway. Anyway, I'm sorry. That was. That's okay. It is interesting. Please do send in what, maybe, like, not even just your answer to that thought experiment, but other thought experiments. Because I like thinking, I, I do like thinking about them. So, okay. Where was I? Oh. Two hours later. <laughs> basically. So the FBI thinks that Cooper lacked the proper skills for an actual skydive, particularly because he chose the dummy as well as one of the oldest parachutes to jump with while cannibalizing a perfectly good one to hold, uh, help hold the money to him which they think like that's just their guess of like mm-hmm. why he did that um he had no wind chill protection and it was raining which was just bad luck on uh, i think on his part but like he could have possibly died during the descent yeah. because mm-hmm. it was too cold that far uh, that far up and he didn't have protection against it because right. it's not just that it's cold up front uh, up top it's also that he's falling so he's you know catching wind and getting right. colder well and if you are not experienced especially at a night jump night jumping you're jumping into forest it's, like, it's skydiving and scuba diving diving of most iterations i suppose in my mind are some scary things mm-hmm. i would never want to be that far underwater mm-hmm. and i would never want to be that high up in the air i think i'm good where i'm at I'm glad we reached that conclusion for you. Yeah. I think I'm going to wear them out. All right. So the FBI has concluded, kind of, because there's no real evidence, that Cooper probably perished due to his jump and likely will never be found. But we have a list of suspects. So this is a heavy list lift. However... I'm only going to give you three of the most promising ones and the ones that I like the most because the list is enormous mm-hmm. of the amount of people who have either confessed to being Dan Cooper mm-hmm. or who are suspected of being Dan Cooper either by police or by their family members or by friends or by, like, deathbed confessions. Uh, there's so many of them. So go to go to Wikipedia, to the D.B. Cooper page you'll find them i chose three of the most promising because reading that entire list made my head hurt so the first is a lynn doyle cooper referred to as ld doyle was a leather worker and a korean war vet who was proposed as a suspect in 2011 by his niece marla cooper ld had died in 1999 Marla remembered when she was eight, overhearing LD and another uncle planning something that involved, quote, expensive walkie-talkies, end quote, (laughs) while at her grandmother's house southeast of Portland. The next day was the hijacking of Flight 305. Her uncles were out turkey hunting at the time of the hijacking, but LD came back wearing a bloody shirt, which he said was from an auto accident. Which, in my mind, I'm like, why would you choose an auto accident when you were out hunting turkeys? But maybe he didn't actually catch a turkey, and so he was like, I have to have a different alibi. Hmm. Anyway. Apparently, 
Marla later learned that her own parents had come to believe that LD was the hijacker. She also remembered that he was obsessed with the Canadian comic book featuring Dan Cooper and had one thumbtacked to his wall. She did admit, however, that her uncle was not a skydiver or paratrooper of any kind. Mm -hmm. He did not know how to do any of that. An alternative witness sketch was produced in August of 2011, but it is not confirmed, as they have much more reliable sketches from the flight attendants, and this was from a passenger sitting behind Dan Cooper. Mm -hmm. The hair described was wavy, however, like LDs. That's the end of that. Hmm. So the connections are there, but there's no physical evidence tying him. And, you know, the money's never shown up in that family, mm-hmm. anything like that. The next up is Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. McCoy was an army vet who did two tours in Vietnam, first as a demolition expert and then as a Green Beret helicopter pilot. After service, he was a warrant officer in the National Guard and an active recreational skydiver. April 7th, 1972, McCoy performed a copycat hijack on Flight 855, a Boeing 727, with aft stairs, like this one, and it was flying out of Denver, Colorado. Although at this point, I think it's still the... Oh, the OG. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Yeah. On board, he brandished an unloaded handgun and a paperweight made to look like a hand grenade, demanding four parachutes and $500,000. So he's up, he's up the ante. Even more, even more fanny packs. I just, I like that he, I like that he brought a paperweight. <laughs> which is like, this is a grenade! This will do it. No one will look closely. No one will know. And no, the, you he, know who... I thought of when you said that about a paperweight hmm. made to look like a grenade. Hmm. Professor Ashbrook. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're so right. He totally as, would. As a grenade? Yes. He totally would have it. He absolutely would. Anyway. Well, there's a recovered memory of that class. <laughs> yeah. If, if ever, if ever you go to college and there is a class called... The history of... No, the politics. The politics of mass murder. It's interesting, but it's a lot. It was also first semester of college. First semester, freshman year. Honors seminar. Yep. Politics of mass murder. Thanks, Ashbrook. Thanks. Anyway, he's brandishing this unloaded handgun and the paperweight made to look like a grenade. So, obviously, he has no intention of actually hurting anybody. Right. Which is good. They don't know that, though. They have no clue. But it's kind of like the bomb. Because even though he brought the bomb, like, he grabbed the bomb to take with him down. Right. Like, you would think maybe the impact would make the bomb yeah, maybe, go off. Maybe I would not take the bomb with me right? when I'm jumping out of an airplane. Exactly. So, that makes me think it bomb was fake. Was fake. So... Once they landed in San Francisco's airport, just as the other plane did to refuel, McCoy made the aircraft get back in the sky and jumped out over Provo, Utah. Which, he had family who lived in Utah. Right. They gave him the money, though? 
Yes. At the refueling. Yes. Okay. They gave him the money. They gave Got him it. the parachutes. All of that happened. Same as it did with the Cooper. Gotcha. One. Yes. However, he left behind his handwritten hijack instructions and his fingerprints on a magazine he had been reading while he waited. A handwriting expert later compared the instructions to McCoy's military service records and determined it was him, and they checked his fingerprints and basically confirmed it. McCoy was arrested April 9th, two days after the hijacking, with the ransom cash, and he received a 45-year sentence. Except... He escaped two years later with several accomplices by crashing a garbage truck through the Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary main gates. <laughs> Just full-on barreled through. Boom. McCoy was tracked down three months later in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and was killed in a shootout with FBI agents trying to apprehend him. Oh my goodness. So he fully was like, I'm going out in a blaze of glory. Or something. Or something. There are a few hiccups. McCoy's age and description don't match, though I would argue that the description of his face is, like, kind of close. Like, he's got a little bit of pointiness to him. Mm. But he's not, he doesn't look like this. Like, you, you put the two and two together and you're like, I can kind of see it, but if two people gave basically the exact same description, this right. doesn't seem like it matches. His skydiving skill was well above what was thought of Cooper's skydiving skill. And that's purely because of, like, the things that he chose in order to skydive, where he chose to skydive, mm -hmm. all that. And lastly, McCoy was in Las Vegas the day of the Portland hijacking and in Utah the day after with his family for Thanksgiving dinner. And it's pretty well confirmed that he was not right. Dan Cooper. Hmm. But a double... Could go to your fa with sunglasses. <laughs> Could go to your family Thanksgiving. I don't know. What What if you sent a double <laughs> to your family Thanksgiving? Imagine how that would. My play. mother would still feed them, but would be very confused. <laughs> Just what? Oh, goodness. All right. Last we have Robert Wesley Rackstraw. Rackstraw was a retired pilot and an ex-convict who was in the Vietnam War with the Army. He was arrested in Iran and deported to the U.S. to face charges for possession of explosive and forging checks. So okay. he's, he already is a very colorful person. He's got a lot going on. A few months later, once he was on bail, Rackstraw tried to fake his own death by radioing in a false May Day to say that he was bailing out of a plane over Monterey Bay, California. He was arrested in Fullerton, California, on the charge of forging federal pilot certificates, and the plane he had said he ditched was repainted and found in a nearby hangar. So he was on that plane when he called in the fake May Day, mm -hmm. but he was just basically like, I'm gonna jump out and this plane's gonna crash somewhere, and they, they tracked him down. <laughs> They were like, hey, buddy. Hi, buddy. You feeling all right? Glad to see you uh, made it. Yeah. Although Rackstraw was only 28 at the time of the Cooper hijacking, he resembled the sketch and had military parachute training as well as a criminal record. The FBI, however, eliminated him as a suspect after no direct evidence could be found on him. Granted, no direct evidence could be found on anybody. Mm -hmm. So... Rackstraw admitted to being the hijacker, 
but eventually admitted it was a stunt. Like, he had just pretended that he actually did it. And he died in 2019, so fairly recently. And now we have an honorable mention. Because this is the only thing that I knew about D.B. Cooper other than, like, the basic facts. Mm -hmm. Was that there was someone who claimed to be D.B. Cooper for weird reasons. So Barbara Dayton was born Robert Dayton and served as a merchant marine and in the army during World War II. After being discharged, she worked with explosives in construction and wanted to become a commercial airline pilot, but could not obtain a license. Apparently, the FAA rules prevented her, and it is suggested it was because she was transgender. Two years after the hijacking, Dayton claimed to have staged the hijacking to get back at the airline industry and the FAA. So she, she basically was like, I wanted the money from them. I wanted them to give me what they, Mm -hmm. you know, had taken from me. Dressed as a man. So she cut her hair short and she dressed fully as a man. All that. She said the money was hidden in a cistern near Woodburn, just outside of Portland, Oregon. Eventually, she recanted her entire story. And the FBI never officially commented on Dayton. They didn't ever really, like... They took her statement, but they never really took her seriously. Uh, but it makes so much sense because she's a woman. She would only have a clip-on tie. She didn't know how to do a real tie. <laughs> well, she was she was male to female, so she That's might true. have known how to do a real tie. But she died in 2002. So we will not know if it were true or not. The reason, too, that she eventually recanted was because they said that the hijacking statute of limitations was still active. <laughs> and she was like, oh, oh, well, then I didn't do it. It wasn't me. <laughs> and they technically couldn't, they didn't have any hard evidence against her. Right. They just had her word, and she could recant that. So. She was like, never mind. Yeah. So here's the aftermath. Multiple copycat hijackings, including the one by McCoy, occurred in later years, which resulted in the FAA requiring that the Boeing 727 aircraft have a device, later called the Cooper Vane, which prevents the air stair to be lowered during flight. There was also the mandatory installation of peepholes in all cockpit doors so that the crew can observe passengers without opening the door. Earl J. Cossey was the owner of the skydiving school that gave the four parachutes to Cooper when he demanded civilian gear. Earl was found dead in his home outside of Seattle in April of 2013, so well, well after. Oh. Mm-hmm. The death was ruled a homicide from blunt, blunt force trauma to the head. The case remains unsolved, and officials don't believe that there is any possible link to the case of D.B. Cooper, as burglary is their proposed motive, but still. Did the FBI or anyone else, did they look into records from, like, area skydiving schools to see if anybody matched the description? I didn't check that that's a very good idea because i genuinely i genuinely didn't even think one would one i mean i feel like you have to be very desperate or and or very brave to attempt to jump out of a commercial aircraft having never done any sort of so if you were going to do this wouldn't you at least take a little saturday class 
Maybe. Let's just go around the room, tell each other our names and why we're here. Why? <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, so, uh, hi, my name's Dan. Hi, Dan. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'm excited to be here. Looking to just get a little training before I, uh, take over playing on my next vacation. Oh, sounds, sounds real cool, man. Everyone's just like, oh, damn. You're so funny. Oh, so uh, yeah. Uh -huh. Anyway. All right. Who's next? Carol? All right. Go ahead. Hi, my name's Carol. Hi, Carol. Thank you. I am also here to to buff up my my skydiving skills so that I can go hijack a plane on my next vacation. Because Carol steals jokes. <laughs> Carol. Carol. All right. Lastly, <laughs> you okay? <laughs> We're hilarious. <laughs> Please with us. Other people, I don't care if you don't like it. Leave us a review. <laughs> or leave us alone. <laughs> Put that on the merch. <laughs> All right. Let, what were you saying? We're last so week? close to the end. All right. I have thoughts too. Oh, but good, I'm, I'm glad. Let I'm going to ask you. I have okay. a line that says, Shannon, what are your thoughts? But not yet. I'm sorry. In popular culture, restaurants, Bowling alleys what? and shops in the Portland area and in the Pacific Northwest hold Cooper-themed promotions and sell Cooper-themed souvenirs, as well as hold a Cooper Day celebration each November in Ariel, Oregon, that has been held every year since 1974, except for in 2015 when the owner died. Oh. Yeah. Um, but now I need to go. That's on our road trip list now is okay. Ariel, Oregon in November. And then, well, it'll be September... We're going to uh, Mothman. Oh, yes. And then October, we can have spooky times and go see something spooky. And then November, we're flying out to Oregon to go to Cooper Day. Okay, great. Yeah. Cooper has been the subject of many TV shows and movies, as well as a 2020 documentary called The Mystery of D.B. Cooper about the case, which is where a lot of, like, this kind of, like, pop, all of this new stuff popped up of, uh, it was... Rackstraw, it was uh, Barbara, it was like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I've only seen the trailer. I didn't have enough time to watch the whole thing, but I'm excited to watch the whole thing. It looked interesting. I don't know how much more information they could have possibly gleaned out. Is it out, on though. like History Channel or? I did not check. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Well, I'll I'll look it up and put it in the show notes regardless. So, in 1983. A 330-page book titled Ha 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 was published by Signum Books Limited, claiming to have seven clues to retrieve the $200,000 in $20 bills, and the author was listed as D.B. Cooper. However. Yeah, however. D.B. Cooper was not the name that he used. It was Dan Cooper. Right. So that in and of itself is interesting. And also, we don't have $200,000 in $20 bills in 1983. We have something akin to, like, 993000 and however many, because Ingram found them. Mm -hmm. So if this book is published in 1983, these bills have already been found, and you can't find the full $200,000. Mm -hmm. So this book still exists. And the cover is kind of cute. It's like a little cartoon. 
Um, and very it, obviously it is not like I shouldn't say obviously. The guess is that it isn't actually written by the man who hijacked the plane. Or woman, Barbara. But it is interesting in and of itself because it kickstarted the genre of treasure hunting books. Hmm. There was a book when I was a kid that my dad and I were obsessed with, and we never, it was like filled with all these riddles and these beautiful illustrations that had clues in the illustrations as to where these little medallions were across the United States. And these medallions, if you found them, you would bring it to the town that was within, like, the the space where you were. It's like the, the town you were in. You would bring it to the bank on their main, main drag, and they would have the insect or an animal that was built out of glass and gems and worth anywhere from $30,000 to a million dollars. My dad and I were obsessed with this for a good year. And people had actually found these Mm -hmm. things. People had actually found these medallions. So it was real. And I just, I don't know what has happened to that. So wait, so wait, you went and you went and... Because we, you had the medallion, the bank was like, we'll show you the fancy thing. Yeah, I'm sure it said, like, you need to go to this bank specifically on this street or whatever in and order then, like, to, like, hand bank, it over. And it was in, like, a safety deposit like, box. and put back the medallion or something. Yeah, it would ha- I mean, sure, there was some kind of, like, sign-off thing. It isn't like you walked up and they were like, here you go, here's precious $30,000 Oh, wait, they hand. give it to you? Yeah, it's yours. You get to keep it? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I thought you just got to look at it. No. Oh, you basically are on a treasure hunt. Wait, I think I th- there was something similar. I don't know exactly. There's there's multiple yeah, of these where like there were treasure chests buried. Yes, and there's like at least one that's still out there. Yes, and that was recently in the news. And I don't remember the name of it, but it was recently. in Dear the news. CVS, make us. I don't want to be the hosts because I want to participate, but get Jeff Probst in the off season of Survivor to host the show. Where we try and find these lost artifacts. It's like The Amazing Race, yes. but with elements of Survivor, yeah. but without having to sleep on the ground. Yep. It's great. It means that I don't need to eat bugs. Well, if you, you know, I'll take one for the team if we have to. Thanks, man. It's like the Temple of Doom. I'll do the hype thing. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Don't worry. Okay. I'd be I'd be there for you. I just am not allowed to read the map. God, no. <laughs> I would murder you. Go left. I mean right. I mean right. We're already Emma! going left. We're already going left. <laughs> it's just me on CBS. Emma, you pee. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shannon. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are, do you want the kind of silly one first or the more, like, practical one? Let's go practical and end with silly. Okay. So if I were D.B. Cooper. Imagining the clip on Tino. There you go. Oh, put on the sunglasses. Good job. Thanks. I feel like, because I love a heist sort of movie. I love all the Oceans movies and things. Excellent movies. I feel like it would be the smartest, most practical way to accomplish this heist is to make people think 
you jumped out of the plane. But actually, you stow away. You were Tina Mucklow all along. No, no, no. (laughs) But that you. I mean, the most simple way, which I'm like, I don't. That probably wouldn't work. But where you know that he. I don't know how you would cause that weight distribution, but maybe you like push a beverage cart out or something, and like Mm. you chuck the other two um, parachutes parachutes and throw off your tie. Because you're like... That was in the plane, so... Yeah, well, no, yeah, you throw it into the plane so that they think that you did a dramatic thing before you jumped out. Um, But then you, like, hide away in the overhead bins or something. Or maybe... And he said to keep the landing gear down. So maybe... I don't know how you would do it. But, like, somehow... That, to me, makes the most logical sense. To stow away Mm. in plain sight. Well, no. You know what I mean? But, like, to stay on the plane. Because then you're staying safe. You're not jumping out of a plane in a rainstorm at night. And when the plane lands, yes, they searched it. But did they, like, tear the plane apart? Or did they just look in, like, the passenger areas and go, okay, he jumped? Hmm. Yeah, I wonder, how do you get to the... the and like uh, oh, baggage space, or like you stashed. Maybe you did that? Did you have an accomplice, and then you stash like a a runway crew uniform somewhere, and do the thing where you like walk out into the Full crowd, and you're 11. like, "Wasn't that crazy?" Exactly. Yeah. My thought is that there has to be an accomplice. Otherwise, there's. I feel like there's no way for him to get this done on his own. However, the money, specifically, because the serial numbers are so precise. Mm-hmm. You can't use that. Maybe it was. Maybe he wasn't even doing it for the money. It was just for maybe the thrill of it. it no, it was part of an an initiation process for some sort of spy ring, like the Ocean's crew. Oh, and everyone gets a different initiation yeah. like, activity, yeah. so that it's not the same thing over and over. Yeah. And then, oh, I really like that. Write a book. We'll write a book. He memorized the Tamam Shoot. What's the silly one? Okay, so, after Falcon and the Winter Soldier is done, the next thing to come out on Disney Plus is a series titled Loki, because if you've watched Avengers Endgame, when they go back in time, I mean, it's been time. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert, you can skip if you are living under a rock. But, when they go back in time to New York, 2012... He's captured at the end of the original Avengers movie, but then the Tesseract, like, gets loose, so he, like, takes it and disapparates, essentially. And that's where his television show jumps out, because, like, in the timeline that we know he died. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's how they're doing that. But in the most recent trailer, they definitely imply that he is posing as as D.B. Cooper. That's awesome. And... I thought it was just people making jokes in the um, in the comments of the YouTube video, but actually, on the Wikipedia page for DB Cooper, um, in the television and film section, it says in the upcoming Disney Plus miniseries Loki. What is playing? <laughs> oh my gosh! That's just terrifying. That was you raised me up. <laughs> it's the video of my for my aunt Fran, but it Aww. like started autoplay. It's the I- most Irish thing I've ever heard. 
Yeah. That was also for my grandfather's funeral, was you raise me up on repeat. Yeah. In the upcoming Disney Plus miniseries, Loki, set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Loki is seen taking the disguise of D.B. Cooper before jumping from a Boeing 727 um, and disappearing into the Bifrost. Oh, that's cool. So the real reason they never found D.B. Cooper is because it was Loki and he got beamed back he up got to Asgard. Loki beamed back up into Asgard. Yes. So, like, but then when you were describing the the sketches that the uh, the two flight attendants had described and, and you were like, yes, he was relatively pointy and he had, like, dark hair. I was like, <laughs> Tom Hiddleston. I will say, honestly, though, he looks more like Agent Coulson. Than he does like Loki. I'm sorry. Who? Agent Coulson. 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 Sorry. Why did I say Coulson? I don't know. He is pretty cool. He is cool. I love. Let me Phil see. Coulson. Let me see if I can show oh. you. Oh, we're moving. We're on the move. So I guess we'll report back after um, Loki comes out. Yeah. So those are the photos. Oh, okay. Or not photos. Those are the sketches. Gotcha. And then this dude's Rackstraw down at the bottom. Which I don't think looks all that much like the sketch, but... I don't think so. That's just me. So, my thought is that L.D. Cooper Mm -hmm. is a pretty good candidate, but the fact that he wasn't really a skydiver, either he kept it from his family or he would have died had he jumped out. However... Right. He was not the only one. There was another uncle involved. There was another mm-hmm. man involved in that. So maybe he was the one who jumped, but there's no information on him. So I don't know. I don't know. In any case, as is with the nature of this podcast, we currently don't know for sure. And unfortunately, we didn't figure it out. Well, man. we kind of did. It's Loki. It's Loki. <laughs> YOLO. (laughs) YOLO. All right. Well, that's it. I did it. You did it. Thank you, Christian. It was already on the list of of, uh, topics to do, but I figured it was was good to do when someone suggested. Jesse, I'll get to Bigfoot eventually. I'm sorry. So many, so many other podcasts have done it very recently that I was, we want to have our own moment to shine because, you know full superhero pose yeah well friends if you'd like to see any of the photos go to our insta we gave you plenty of juicy little tidbits for our bingo card so make sure you won and we'll shout you out if you if you tag us yeah yeah, thank you for listening shannon oh yeah this was a grand old time right you didn't get scared nope i i'm keeping to my promise man i already have the next few weeks lined up great that I just feel like now there's just a ticking t- clock. <laughs> there's an hourglass that's been two ticked, months, and two every months week, mark. every week we get closer to the time running out, and then it's gonna be like this demon doll of blah blah blah. And I'm gonna be like, nah. oh no, I don't think I'll do another doll for a long time. Okay, I'm gonna try my best not to do another doll for a long time. Mm-hmm. Might do another house. Because we did, we did the spooky Winchester house. 
which yeah. turned out not to be that spooky. Throwing it way back. That needs Woo! to be on the road trip list, too. Yes. Well, there's a lot of places in California uh, that are supposedly haunted. So we should go and haunt the ghosts. <gasps> Ooh, I have so many ghost theories, you guys. There's There probably is going to be an episode of all my theories about what ghosts are. All right, but we need to end this now. Thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast doesn't exist. Oh my god, it works so well when we're in the same room and two not different. On Zoom. Oh my gosh, I could not figure it out on Zoom. Wait, wait, wait. What? And now, stay tuned for our special behind-the-scenes episode minisode, National, National Treasure, Treasure Talk. <laughs> oh, that's right, National Treasure Talk. Yes, stay tuned. Enjoy. Enjoy. Okay. So, before today, before we recorded, Haley sent, or Ruth sent, and then Haley was like, <gasps> I was about to send it, yes. that they're going to turn National Treasure into a TV show on Disney+. Plus. Just yesterday, I was listening to an episode of the Mystery Team Inc. podcast where she's talking about National Treasure and, like, how much of it is real. And then... The latest was, like, 2020, they were doing a rewrite of the script. And I was like, ooh, we might get another movie. How exciting. That is but if really we get exciting. a TV show. I'm I'm very excited, too, because it's, it, it specifically said it is not, uh, like, a remake. It is just within the same world. So it leaves the possibility for my Riley... To come back. First of all, you're Riley. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. Wrong. He can be ours. I love him so all much. All of the nerdy middle school girls uh, just rose up against us. Do you us. remember? I don't I don't know if it was actually Tiger Beat, but it was something along those lines. J14 or something. Yeah, something like that. And they had a fold-out poster of the guy who plays Riley, whose name I don't remember. Oh my god. Uh, Justin. His name is Justin. Barta, maybe his I don't name know. is Justin. Let, let me. Look we it need up. to look this up. We didn't do research for this part of the podcast. It, this is this isn't even really part of the podcast. <laughs> but won't it though? Bonus. What if we release this as a bonus episode? It's seven minutes long, and it's just me being excited about this. But it's so exciting. Everyone should be. But excited. it is so exciting. Also, they are in the works for a National Treasure Three. We get both. Yes. Did you not read that far? No, I was in the parking lot. I couldn't. I didn't. Oh have my time. god, dude! So it's National Treasure Three is in the works. Nicholas Cage may or may not make an appearance in the TV the show. The TV show, Ooh. and it will the be the National Treasure Cinematic Universe, basically. It will basically be that there's this girl, because they said Latina, so it's it's a girl who is doing all of the, you know, national treasure stuff, and then Nicolas Cage comes on by his beautiful wife counterpart, who kind of hates him, kind of loves him, because honestly, Dang real babe. Kruger's character. Yeah. Justin um, Bartha. Well done. Honestly, very well done. Only I could because not... li- literally yesterday I was listening to their their podcast. I love him. I love him so much. I don't even remember if he's in anything else. Is he in anything else? I don't know, but Gary Oldman is listed as part of the cast for National Treasure 3. He doesn't have a character name. Isn't Gary Oldman dead? 
No. <gasps> no, he's Sirius Black. Yeah. There you who go. Who did you think he was? <laughs> no, I was remembering the guy who was the voice of the dragon in Merlin. John Hurt? I don't know why I got them mixed up. <laughs> the fact that you knew all of their names, too. I'm, like, so impressed. Look, I was on Super Who Lock part of Tumblr. I, I was, know, too, but I was so but, bad at it. But I have, honestly, Sherlock is the only one of those kind of series that I ever watched in its entirety. I still oh. haven't finished Merlin, have not watched all of Doctor Who or Supernatural. I'll get there eventually. Yeah. Maybe. I... All of I, I I have no interest in watching Doctor Who anymore. Mm. Um, Supernatural is just like every every episode someone is dead, so I'm like it's a lot. Although I started watching oh. Gilmore Girls, and there's a baby Sam, and his name is Dean. Yeah, they which make I find jokes about that, which I don't I don't think I ever noticed because I never watched Gilmore Girls before today. Yeah, that's fair. Literally started it today. What? What's that face for? Okay, so Justin Bartha. I'm looking at his uh, his filmography. It's not in chronological order. That's really annoying, Google. Why would Have, they do that? Do you try to come for IMDb spot and then you do it wrong? Um, he was in the 2003 cinematic classic starring Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck that is Jiggly. Oh my gosh. Um, I've never seen it, and yet I, I know exactly it's really what it's bad. about. Yeah, I know exactly what it's about. Failure to Launch. <gasps> he's in that! The Rebound with Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yes. And he's also in all three installments of The Hangover, which I don't think either of us have really watched. No, I love The Hangover. He oh. is the groom, but the reason I don't remember him in those movies is because he's the groom and he's gone for almost the entire movie, and it's about the groomsman trying to find him, so. Wow. That is exactly not my kind of humor. But I love it does the hangover. not surprise me that Emma has watched The Hangover. I love The Hangover. And I completely forgot that he was in that movie. All right. Well, hold on. Now yeah. I want to double check that John Hurt is the dragon. No, from... you're right. You are right. That bird thinks you're right. Chirpity chirp, chirp, chirp. Yes, I am correct. Yes. Wait. He's dead? Yeah. I thought. But he's definitely. He's definitely the war doctor from Doctor Who. Yeah, but that was, like, almost ten years ago now. Well, time is weird. He's also Ollivander. Yeah. Just proof. Oh, yeah, he he passed in 2017. According to Colin Morgan website.wordpress.com. I like that that's where you found it when you're on Google. (laughs) Look. They have good SEO, I guess. They must. But that's just proof, further proof, that Harry Potter, Marvel, and Star Wars, if you're playing the movie game, can connect basically anyone. Once you get to one of those, the world opens up to you. Mm -hmm. Because there are so many people. I was thinking about this the other day. I was trying to, and I'm not going to be able to remember who it was, but I was watching something, and in my brain went oh, you would never be able to use this person in the movie game because it would take too long to get to them. Oh. And I think it was... Because my, my, the one that I always use is Antonio Banderas. Right. Because the only thing that I can think of him in that I recognize anybody else in is Shrek. 
Or Zoro. Or Zoro. <gasps> he you... was the dad in Spy Kids. Never mind. Yeah. But I don't remember any of their names. Uh, Alan Cumming is in the Spy Kids movie. I just shared, I recently shared a Facebook And Channing Tatum is a thumb. <laughs> Wait, what? No, he's not oh. actually. <laughs> he just looks like one of them. Wait a second. No, but he just looks like one of them. Right? I literally just shared a post about this. And other you did. Than Alan you Cumming, did. I can't tell you anyone else. It was the greatest showman thing. Of him standing in the no, video no, no, no. game, I right? I shared a Facebook post that was like, why would these actors sacrifice their career for such a terrible franchise? And people in the comments are like, first of all, Spy Kids is great. And it, like, rattles off all these different people. It's part of and Liam's I, formative years. He went as Junie two years in a row for Halloween. That checks out. 100%. I have pictures. My brain, His hair was spiked. My brain just went, Yep. Correct. I wasn't there, he had a little, but I believe it. He, Dad had an old wallet that he put little uh, spy kid thing in. It was really oh cute. Oh my gosh. It was really cute. Liam would kill me if he knew that I just told you. Nah. I think it, he'd find it embarrassing. He might not want Gene to know. <laughs> Sorry, little brother. Hi, Gene. Gene had better be listening to us aggressive it was very aggressive but the last time i saw him i was when i picked liam up mm-hmm. and he almost didn't give me a hug i mean it is covid times but they're also in their bubble so i'm like we're well, all part of this bubble i now. don't know i don't know people, i love jean jean i love you have to give hugs if they don't want to. that's that's fair but if, um, to be honest you're kind of weird I didn't say I'm not <laughs> weird. Do you like, like how I pretended to take offense? Yeah. And I was like, look, I'm not saying I'm not weird, but let's uh, acknowledge the facts. Oh, poor Jean. Speaking of facts, should we record a podcast? Yeah, I guess so. Here. <laughs>